This episode is brought to you by the Arvada Center because they're kicking off their summer concert series in June. Relax under the stars at the Arvada Center's outdoor amphitheater and take in acts like Melissa Etheridge, Big Richard, Tower of Power, Preservation Hall Jazz Band, The Spin Doctors, and so much more. Concerts are scheduled for June through September. You can find a whole schedule of events and get your tickets today at arvadacenter.org. That's arvadacenter.org. Today on CityCast Denver, we're in the home stretch of 2022, but the news keeps coming. So we're digging into the backlash facing the Colorado Healing Fund in the wake of the Club Q shooting, the quagmire that is parking downtown, and as always, some personal recommendations for your weekend. Oh, and this one is a little bit explicit because one of us curses at one point. Guess who? Today is Friday, December 9th, 2022. I'm Paul Caroli, and this is CityCast Denver. Welcome back to CityCast Denver, the show about the future home of the 2023 USA Curling Championships. Is that a Canadian thing, Paul? Am I in the right podcast? You sure are. (laughs) You're in the Paul zone. (laughs) Are you not excited about that, Bree? You know, it's interesting. We have like a curling uh, center here, like where people practice, right? Like Olympic level curling. I've driven by it uh, on my way to Golden, maybe. I, literally, that's all I know. <laughs> I Canadians don't... are everywhere, Bree. They're, they're here. They're among us. <laughs> you um, are among us, Paul. <laughs> um, so, so Bree is here. Bree, our regular host. Uh, Hi, Paul. And we have a great returning guest this week. Uh, she was the host of Colorado Public Radio's Weed Podcast on something. Anne-Marie Awad, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Anne-Marie, should we go to the curling championships? What do you think? I mean, if only to explain to me how it works one more time. <laughs> yeah, it's like either so every curling. You gotta like make it real clean so mm-hmm. it can slot. I don't understand. It's, They're just cleaning the floor. It's about <laughs> friction, reducing friction oh. with the stone. It's fun. Curling is really fun. <laughs> Breeze face. There are I'm, people listening right now who are like, "Yeah, curling. Yeah." Oh my god! You and finally five other Canadians, or maybe Midwesterners. <laughs> is my other are guess. You, are you Canadian? I'm half Canadian. Oh, half are you kidding me? Oh. I love to make fun of Paul for being Canadian all the time. I'm like, I'm from Western New York, so I'm like an hour away from being Canadian. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> close. Yeah, close enough. Um, is there something about Colorado and Canada? Because you know, I always think about the South Park depiction of. Canadians. I was like thinking about that too. Heads. I'm sure everyone has that in their mind right now. We must stop dirty language from getting to our children's ears. We must go fight the source of it. But what is the source? Oh, that's easy. I okay. I hate South Park. I don't know what you're really? talking about. Yeah. Oh, wow. I don't, please don't put that on the podcast. People are going to come to my house. Uh, yes. Okay, we should move on. We should move on. Um, so it's Friday. We're rounding up the news of the week. And the big story this week was a major development connected to the Club Q shooting, which was now three weeks ago um, in Colorado Springs. And so I'm talking specifically about a controversy around the Colorado Healing Fund. Um, which was a nonprofit established in 2018 to provide emergency relief to victims and loved ones after a mass tragedy, like the shooting at Club Q. Um, But Brie, can you explain what what people are so upset about around the Healing Fund this week? As far as I understand, I think part of it was uh, the the amount of money that they take 
to operate the healing fund, which is ten mm-hmm. percent. Which I think you and I did some research, and that's pretty normal. Yeah, low even. It's low for nonprofits. I'm, I've seen different different numbers thrown around, but it seems like about twenty percent, twenty thirty percent is average overhead for a nonprofit. But the other concern was uh, sort of the red tape, the bureau, the bureaucracy around having to get access to that funding for folks who maybe have immediate needs in the aftermath of a tragedy. I think, too, a piece of it is just like the way that the organization is chartered. They can only give money to other nonprofits. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. And so it's so it's not a direct access where in the aftermath of something like this, maybe somebody lost the person in their life who was their bread, you know, was the the main caretaker in their life. So there maybe are children involved. There's maybe a a mortgage that needs to be paid, but even more immediately, someone just needs money in that moment to survive and they don't have access to it because they're not a nonprofit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think also like just working in nonprofits for a long time, it's like each of those nonprofits is going to take an administrative slice, as we mentioned. Um, And then it's, you're taking all of these donations and it's harder to sort of track how it gets to people, I think, is maybe some of the concern as well. And I think what's interesting, too, is this being a act of violence against the queer community, which already has such a strong and deep mutual aid tradition. Um, it makes total sense for some of these people to come out and say, that doesn't make any sense. You know, like this is an emergency now. People need this money now. And they don't need to be asked a lot of questions about what they're going to use it for or right. how they're going to uh, the same question again. Yeah, I, I saw that there was um, there was someone pointed out, I think it was in an article for CPR, a critic of the healing fund. They said that uh, victims had to like show need like show some means testing. Yeah. Means testing. So show like a bank statement or something to show how much need they had for, for funds because the healing fund was trying to distribute based on it just, yeah. I mean, once you get into those details, like that's, that's pretty uncomfortable stuff. I don't think anyone's going to be satisfied at at that level. Yeah. And on that, on that note about that criticism, um, I saw some folks on Twitter talking about re-victimizing people who've already Mm. been victims by forcing them to prove something like that. Like prove the need. How close were you to the victims or the the shooting? Yeah, and sometimes, especially, I think you make a good point, Anne-Marie, when we're talking about the queer community, folks' familial ties and community, what family means to them is often not on paper. Exactly. You know? That's a very fraught thing uh, in the queer community. Like, that's just not always cut and dry. You don't have the genealogical proof that this person was your family member, but they may have been your partner. They may have been your main caretaker. Yeah. And I, I don't know. I think that it puts into question a lot of like, what does family mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so Amber, you you brought up a term that I don't know if our audience is all going to be familiar with. I wasn't until recently. Mutual aid. Yes. Can you explain what that is? Mutual aid is people giving money to other people. It's as simple as that. Mm-hmm. Um, there is not a nonprofit structure that's sort of acting like the middleman in this case. Um, so I can give you an example of one that, uh, mutual aid organization that I just joined. Um, and I'm going to do my first volunteer shift with them tomorrow, hey, there you um, go. which is Denver Community Fridges. And so this is a network of people. Um, it, there is not a hierarchy. It is a large group of people in the Denver Metro working together to ensure that uh, folks have access to free food. Um, and so you might have seen a community fridge around town, maybe at uh, Huckleberry Roasters, um, but 
it, it it's you know exactly what it sounds like we go and we pick up uh food from distribution sites and then we put it in all of these fridges and people are free to come and take what they need they can also put stuff in the fridge we as volunteers in the mutual aid network are welcome to the food as well because there is no means testing mm-hmm. like you mentioned before there's nothing there's no piece of paper that i have to sign that says you know i need this food um and i think like mutual aid does require that level of trust. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's what's so hard to see, I think, in this Colorado Healing Fund situation um, is, you know, some people, like you said, who have been victims of an awful tragedy are being re-traumatized by having to prove that they need help. When that's, you know, to anybody reading the newspaper in the last couple of weeks about the the shooting, that's apparent. Mm -hmm. The need is apparent. Why does it need to be proved? Why does it need to be proved, Brie? I mean, in these cases, it's because nonprofits have to track everything, I think, is a big part of it. It's like that's how you get funding in the first place from other sources is by tracking accountability, but also your demographics. Who are you serving? Mm -hmm. And the mutual aid model circumvents all that and just says, I'm your neighbor. You come to me and say, I need this and I can give that to you. There's no strings attached. There's no form to fill out. There's no tally of who gets what. It's just, I have something that you need. I share with you. You share with me when you have something that I need. And that sometimes is a service. You know, I think about mutual aid is really cool in this way. Like, I'm a caregiver and I can trade you um, a couple hours of babysitting if you let me use your car. That's a great, Mm. you know, there's no... There's no foundation involved and there's no paperwork. There's no nonprofit. There. Exactly. Uh, I think another one is, I'm not sure if it's here in Denver, but Snow Angels, you mm-hmm. just volunteer. Yeah, we do to have it in Denver. Shovel sidewalks. Yeah. Um, I mean, it is, it's the idea that everybody has something that they can give um, and you don't need to prove it. Hmm. It's a very interesting new idea. I have to say, this is like kind of exciting for someone who's already been always been frustrated by how philanthropy works in this country just like reinforcing the status quo and like giving the people who already have the most money the most power to make the change they want even if it is a change for good so i don't know i mean this is the season of giving breed what do you see mutual aid as an alternative to the old structure do you see it as where does it fit in for people like should our listeners get involved with this? Yes. And what I would say too, Paul, is it's not a new idea by any means. No. This okay. is how this is how community networks operate. This is how communities have worked for centuries, frankly. Hmm. The thing that I think about historically is on the West Side, there were these groups of mutualistas, which were just familial community oh, networks of people meeting each other's needs without any sort of structure. And like you, the non-hierarchical part is really crucial i think that's a great point Marie. is like no one's in charge i mean sometimes there is a someone who's lightly in charge just at least to help facilitate things like oh i know somebody that has the thing that you need let me connect you to them um i think what's hard with the colorado healing fund what was hard is uh, when a tragedy happens people out from outside of a community want to help immediately and so that's often why people donate to things like that i don't think Mm -hmm. anybody does it out of it's it people are donating because they care yeah yeah and they can't control where that money goes and i think the argument for mutual aid is just it's more hyper localized or finding someone in the community that you can support directly Um, mutual aid is a little bit harder for folks to understand in this season of giving because we're so used to just giving money and wandering away from that Uh, yeah and this (laughs) is really pushing folks to say it's more of a relationship mm -hmm. and a community how involved are you in your community or how could you get more involved in a more 
um, functional on the ground in person way that could help your neighbors. It, which is as easy as sometimes there's I'm I'm part of the West Denver Facebook group that's just free stuff. So you just put stuff up there or you put your needs up there and other people either meet those needs or you meet their needs. Yeah, it can be as simple as that. Hmm. Yeah. Um, I think, too, uh, this might be like pre-CityCast days, but something that you wrote, Brie, about food banks and how food banks operate yeah. was a real light bulb moment for me in terms of mutual aid. Um, and I, say, say more. What, what is this? I, I feel weird telling you. No, that no, you no. Wrote. <laughs> I, I did. I, well, because I had a similar experience where I was working on a food access project through this sort of nonprofit space. Mm-hmm. And I saw what folks were going through to have to access that food. And sometimes it's not even what they want or it's not culturally relevant. Exactly. And they're treated as if like, well, we're a charity and we're helping you out. So you better take this food and you better be grateful for it. But you can only come on Wednesdays from 3 to 6 p.m. to this location. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to pick up this food and that's what you get yeah and the mutual aid model or sort of the newer food bank model is there's some food banks that have changed to where they're more like a grocery store and you can come in and shop it and pick what you want and that's there's still some problematic elements of that too because you're still putting somebody into a situation where they're othered yeah. from the grocery store environment but the mutual aid model which community fridges do is just we're providing food and there's no constraints around who Hmm. can have it when you can get it what it is and oftentimes the food is more culturally responsive to the neighborhood that it's in Hmm. yeah i think the food piece of it was the big eye opener for me because i understand food charity the same way that a lot of people do which is like you clean out all the garbage at the back of the cat you know your old cans of food yeah that's like i remember that from being in elementary school well yeah and 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 it's funny like my parents still think that way like oh we'll just donate all this stuff i'm like no one wants that throw it in the trash yeah um and it's the idea that like somebody who is in need doesn't inherently deserve you know the same food that you your leavings (laughs) essentially you know it's it's a i think that was like that was the real shift for me was sort of Leaving behind the charity mindset, which is I'm doing something for you and you should be grateful and then mm-hmm. I can go on with my life and never think about this again, to the mutual aid mi- mindset, which is you're just like me. Mm-hmm. You're just like me and your situation happens to be different and I'm in a position to give you something to help you out. Hmm. And and that's all it is. And I think since then, it has it has been a real shift in how I understand like what I can do in the mm-hmm. world. Like I think especially like the last few years of the pandemic, feeling so hopeless and so powerless as so much awful shit happens in the world. Shoes, shirt, some <laughs> awful shirt happens. No, it's all good. You're good. You're good. <laughs> I don't know why I went to shoes first. Um, but but like feeling like well, right now I've got seventy five bucks I can send to somebody who really needs help with their rent. Or, you know, who mm-hmm. doesn't have a car right now. I think that was really huge. I think the year that you wrote that, I actually, for Christmas, I went and found mutual aid organizations in all of my families where yeah. they all live and donated on their behalf to That's try to awesome. get them to do it. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, thank you. Like, I think it I think it really is. There's not this is my journalism high horse. There's not a lot of great journalism out there about how nonprofits work. Yeah. Um, and so I think a lot of this stuff, like you said, is really just out of sight, out of mind for people. Um, especially like this time of year when the Santas are ringing the bells, Mm -hmm. you know, getting people to understand that not all those organizations are created equally. Or do they serve equally? No. And I think a lot of what charity is to people, unfortunately, is just peace of mind. 
and versus structural change. Yeah. 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 Can, can I tell a quick story? Yes. Bree, tell me if I, I've told this before, but I worked for a summer at a food bank and uh, I have this very distinct memory of um, being tasked with going out to the warehouse and taking the pallet full of rotten watermelons and shoveling them into a dumpster. Because what would happen is local Woof. grocery stores would take produce that is mm -hmm. almost expired yep. and then go and donate it to the food bank, which had no facilities to um, store this stuff. Of course, they were moving into a bigger space. I'm not, I'm not trying to blame them. They knew that they had um, more than they could handle. But they would do this. These, these stores would donate these massive amounts of almost rotten produce, knowing it would go bad in the food bank. But for them, it's like tax write-off. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, when you scale, there are these inefficiencies with this model. So um, I'm just pulling up a couple ideas for folks to, because I love the Denver Community Fridges is a great place to start. Yeah. Um, DenverCommunityFridges.com. If you don't want to volunteer, you can just give them money. Oh, yeah. They they also just have a support fund for people who need any kind of help, yeah. Not even not food related. So I think, yeah. And then also, like you were saying, like someone needs help paying their rent. Uh, Rocky Mountain Mutual Aid Network. You can tap right into that. You can do I donate, I don't know, twenty dollars a month or something. And that fund exists for folks to pop in and say, I need my water bill paid. And they just give them the money. Um, the other place I've learned so much about this from is Denver Food Rescue. Mm. Check out Denver Food Rescue. Something I've learned about the larger food banks from my friends at Denver Food Rescue is a lot of times those uh, larger food banks will be like, here's a thing of, here's a pallet of Doritos. Mm -hmm. And they're like, we don't want to serve our community Doritos. Like it's not, not to get into like the, 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 the class issues and the all these things around yeah. what is good food and bad food but people want the same access to the same food that everybody else is buying at the grocery store and they want and they, and they want something maybe that's healthier and like yeah. they don't want to distribute that like you know what i mean like so denver food rescue is just another great place to start you can donate there you can also volunteer there so if you're like on the edge of this like i want to help but i don't understand those are some great places to start hmm. So I want to say a couple of words in defense of the Colorado uh, Healing Fund. I, I spoke with the executive director, Jordan Finnegan, yesterday on the phone. She's had a hard week. I bet. She's had a really hard week. I bet. I mean, this is, a, this is a job where you're very close to trauma. It's like designed to address these mass shooting events. And it's just her, right? And it's just her. One yeah. employee. I mean, they have a board, all-volunteer board. I didn't realize this, but Frank DeAngelis, the uh, principal from Columbine High School, he's mm -hmm. on the board. That's a lot that. of people who have been connected with these in the past are on this board who work on this issue. So it's not like some like shadowy bureaucrats. It's all people with personal experience. And I think they're doing their best. And one thing they did do this week, they announced earlier this week actually that they um they're not collecting that 10 percent overhead for the donations from the club q shooting anymore um jordan said they got a couple of or they got some anonymous donors to step in and take care of that um so everybody who donated that money is all going to victims and loved ones and people who need it um but one other thing about jordan and her feelings this week i asked her why she thought this had become such a flashpoint because i didn't really understand it you know it's all people trying to do their best from my perspective and she said with money comes conflict. Whoever collects the money will be the lightning rod. We try to mitigate that and we try to collaborate with people, but it's inevitable. Yeah. And I, I think that I'm glad that you brought up uh, her voice because I, I don't think this is about demonizing organizations as much as looking at the structural 
things that don't work in right. the nonprofit world, especially when it comes to tragedy, immediate need, things like this. Right. Like they're just not built. That organization is just not built to do what maybe we're realizing would be best. But it's not because people that run it or work there are necessarily bad people by any means. I know wonderful no. people that and they work have, for nonprofits. They have different advantages that mutual aid networks sure. can't do. They, they offer something else. They have this million-dollar seed money from the attorney general. That's how the fund got started. So they can react immediately in large quantities. Yeah. And then donations will replenish that fund. Sure. So that, that is something that not, you know, they, they can do things that other people can't. I think it's like anything else. There's multiple access points. There's multiple ways to go at a problem or go yeah. at an issue. I think also like maybe a piece of this too is um, just the volume of these kinds of tragedies. Yeah. And perhaps a feeling that, you know, with the frequency of all of this, that maybe this isn't the only way for us to deal with this. Mm -hmm. Like it's a both and situation, I think, because uh, yeah. I don't know how this changes, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, but I mean, Colorado in particular, we've been ground zero for so many of these awful massacres at this point. Um, and so I think in a way it makes sense that we feel some frustration about, you know, how can we help these people quicker and more effectively? Mm -hmm. I think that part of the debate is some way and in some way encouraging. And I think like the discouraging flip side of it is like, do we just like if we establish systems for this, does this mean that we just like accept this yeah. as the way things are? Hmm. I think it also just means sometimes getting more involved in the organizations that you donate to and seeing on the ground how they work. And if yes. it works with what you, what you believe to be societal change or what you want to see in the world. Like I, I, I talk about harm reduction action center all the time. They are a nonprofit, but I see them on the ground every day. You literally can drive by their on 8th and Lincoln and see them working. Yeah. I know what they do. I believe in what they do. So again, not all nonprofits are horrible, but we just have to, I think, like you said, just like not just donate money and wander away. I did my good thing. Here's my virtuous moment. Yeah. What do I want to do to see change in the world? Yeah. Well, all right. I mean, obviously there's a lot more to talk about with this issue, and but we, we have to leave it there for now. Um, I want to hear what listeners think about this. What's the best way to help people in need this holiday season? I really, really would like help figuring this out because I've this whole week has thrown me back and forth. I don't know where, where I'm at with this. So leave us a voicemail. Call in. The number is 720-500-5418. Tell us what's the best way to help this holiday season. The number is 720-500-5418. Before we go to a break, Anne-Marie, we weren't expecting to talk about weed with you today, but there was uh -oh. some breaking news. <laughs> Bree, do you want to explain this? You requested to talk about this. Oh, Brittany Griner, WNBA oh. player, is being... Brought home from Russia as we speak. I, I hate think. saying this. I keep forgetting that's a weed story. Yeah, because well, it's so because it's so it's so benign. It's I mean, so ridiculous. She had a vape pen. Yeah. No. I. You know. You know. I went and visited my family for Thanksgiving, and like maybe it's my reputation. Everybody <laughs> asked me if I brought weed, and I was like, "Why would I do that, guys? It's federally illegal." But I think that's also like a testament to how it's so common. Um, for people to be carrying it on them. And it's so obviously like a trumped up BS charge. Yeah. I think it's amazing that she's coming home. I think it's a shame that it took as long as it did. Yeah, I agree. I'm just happy. And I think it's really important for us to think about this, especially like you're saying, the sort of uh, laissez-faire attitude we can have about it here yeah. and understanding that she had to go through Russia's court system to over a vape. And go pen. to a penal colony. 
Yeah. I mean, it's, it's awful. And it's and I think a lot of the reactions that I saw on social media today that I fully agree with, honestly, is like, great. Now do everybody else that's yeah. in prison for weed possession. Um, because it is, I mean, it is that simple. And I'm not going to say we're as bad as Russia. Yeah. But that's like a dose of how we treat a lot of drug crimes or have treated a lot of drug crimes for the past several decades in this country. It's like, whoa, hold on a second. You had just this tiny mm-hmm. amount of weed. You're going to prison for like five years. Yeah. Uh, we do that in America. We have done that. Um, and so I think I'm hoping that this starts a greater conversation about it if it hasn't already. I agree. Hmm. Well, welcome home, Brittany. We're happy yeah, about this. This yeah, is great news to go into the weekend with. Um, we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to talk about a very controversial subject. Uh, <laughs> more controversial than she's <laughs> once weed in Russia. Is this about curling again? <laughs> is this about this mug I found? Um, cats forever. That's a good. One. Boys, whatever. <laughs> oh. <laughs> found this at the Beautiful. Westwood offices. Shout out to whoever this is. <laughs> It might come home with me. And we're back with a listener question about a very controversial topic, parking. It comes to us from a listener, Eric S. He writes, One of my frustrations is the lack of parking in central Denver, specifically around Civic Center and the Central Library. I understand this is a bit of a grumpy old man rant, but I think it's absolutely ridiculous that there are so few metered spots in the area. I went to the library last Sunday with my son, and the only metered parking in the area was 20-ish spots on the east side of Broadway across from the library. All the spots on the west side of Broadway, the north side of the library, and the east side of Bannock were covered with red, no parking bags. WTF? You have this huge Christmas display. I assume he's talking about the Chris Kindle Market and the Civic... The, and the, the City the and County lights. Building. Yeah. yeah. Um, people are coming from all over the metro to enjoy it, and there's no way for them to park. <laughs> Two weeks ago, we tried going as a family, and after circling for 15 minutes and not finding parking, we gave up and went home. Have you ever done that, Brie? Have you ever given up? <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Gone home? Totally. Both of you? Oh, yeah. for sure. I don't, I mean, I, ugh, I'm going to tell on myself here for a second. I'm infamous for complaining that I don't go places in Denver because it's hard to get places, it's hard oh, to park. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm kind of a hermit. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, Brie, what do you think? Is there enough oh, parking around the library downtown? That I'm <laughs> feeling constrained by the fact that we have like, 10 transit freak listeners that love to <laughs> passionate people they are passionate passionately people. against me being honest about the fact that people here love to drive i don't know what to tell you guys like yeah i don't think i, I agree it i would love to see a cultural shift in that i know that it will take all of us but let's be realistic in this moment yeah people still love their cars mm-hmm. i don't even want to say this i want you to edit this all out <laughs> this is gone i'm done i'm done <laughs> I, no, I think I think you're making a cut good it. point. I I don't want to cut. I want I want people to hear this. I want to really talk about this. I, I think can't. you're right. I think we do need to be realistic about how much of a pain it is. Well, and it is driving. It makes people stay away from downtown, and that's a real big problem right now because I, downtown is pretty desolate. You know, in the evening, 16th Street Mall. Bleak. Well, and my my husband has made this point. He'll play a gig at Dazzle. There's a there's like nowhere really close to park as a person who needs to unload his gear into a venue and it'll be like you can park here overnight but you only can park here until nine o'clock or ten o'clock and then you have to come back out and pay more money to put it in and he's like i'm literally working down here like what do you want me to do i had the same problem whenever i would go to stuff at the press club too yeah um 
I do think what's weird about Denver is like the lack of municipal lots and garages. Like they're all private here. Mm. Oh yeah, we um, don't have those. We don't. That's I mean, really I interesting. just being in Asheville, like visiting my family for the last couple of weeks. They have it's not all of the garages downtown, but like a good decent chunk of them are city garages, and it means you know they cost less. Um, there's usually spaces available, and like you can just park your car and walk around downtown. I think I think the other thing is like. I love transit too. I know um, you do. Yeah. But I we, mean, we also like we didn't we see a big story this week about how most people are not really satisfied with RTD. And I yes. think that's like a thing that has to get factored in here, right? Is like I wish there were more options for me to go leave my car somewhere, hop on a train, and be in the middle of it all. Um that's gotten a lot less reliable over the yeah. last few years. Um, which is a, another reason I don't leave my house. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, RTD is underfunded. We don't value it here. Yeah, it's I'm also not a good about service. A lot it's of not folks their fault. have had to move out of the city proper into the suburbs because that's where it's affordable. And then you're cut off from some transit access that you maybe were more used to riding in the city. I don't know. I mean, I think there's a lot of issues here. I think the solution is not to just make it impossible to park and expect people to change their behavior. I think that's such a rude way to go about it because the other options, like you're saying, are not that reliable yeah. sometimes. I think it's it's a combination of both. We need to change our behaviors. We also need a better system. And I, I hear that guy that it's frustrating when you go downtown and all the meters that are there are bagged. You're like, oh, you don't want me to be here. Okay, that's cool. That I has guess happened I'll go somewhere a lot else. more recently. Is that, is that just me? Because like Civic Center Park was like cut off for so long. Um, I think that's like a big chunk of it too. There's a lot of weird things we're doing as a city in the name of homelessness prevention. Yeah. And I'm sure the parking spaces are suffering for part of that too. It's the same way, like, I don't know if you've noticed on our side of town, a lot of stores took away their shopping carts. Uh-huh. Um, it's just these silly little things that we do because we're adapting to a big problem that has a big complicated solution. <laughs> Instead yeah. of facing our big problem. That's for yeah. sure. Gosh. Yeah. <laughs> there are um, like so many big problems connected to this parking issue. And like, I, know. I, I always come back to the fact that like, the answer is revolution, just like a total change in thinking and approach to life in the city. And I, that's that's an even harder question. I, I think people would be more uh, amenable to these changes if their other needs were being met. Yes. Like, sorry, mm-hmm. if I'm paying $2,600 a month in rent, I, I feel less inclined to be the guy that is like trying to figure out how to take the bus. Like, yeah. give me a break. Yeah. Give someone a break. Um, Anne-Marie, you talked about all the weird things Denver's doing around parking lately. Uh, It occurred to me when this listener wrote in that uh, we're coming up on the one-year anniversary of the city of Denver increasing parking meter rates downtown from $1 to $2, which was an effort to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. Mm, That seems to be going like so well. (laughs) (laughs) Killing it. Killing it. We want fewer people to commute by car. What if there was a global pandemic? Well, I think the thing that's (laughs) a little frustrating in this area is that especially in the last year, we have seen that incentives work to change mm-hmm. people's behavior. The big one being this e-bike, e-bike, ra- blah, 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 blah. e-bike, e-bike rebate. rebate. Yeah, program. great point. We're <laughs> yes. a leader in that nationally. Yes, and we're talking about, oh, we've gotten all these cars off the road. We've gotten X number of e-bikes on the road. You can't get a rebate anymore, but I'm not mad about that or anything. But <laughs> They're going to do it again. They'll but, bring it back. But like, People changed their behaviors and got an e-bike because there was an incentive. Right now, there's not an incentive for you to not drive your car. There's not an incentive for you to not have a giant-ass car in a city. Mm-hmm. This is my hill to die on. I don't have to get into it unless you want me to. Can <laughs> you do a little bit? We do live in the neighborhood of giant trucks, True. too. I was almost run off the road by one with a license plate that said, was up. 
the other day. <laughs> but no, I mean, it's a multifaceted problem. A person has a lot of problems. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a multifaceted problem. And I hear this um, listener's complaints. It is hard. You want to stop by the library. You want to go into the Denver Art Museum. If it's not easier to park, then you probably won't go. Does that mean that we should create more parking? I don't know. I, mean, I guess. Yeah. I don't know what the solution is otherwise. Also, like you said, there's this new report that says maybe people aren't super happy with RTD. I got to say, they have one of the biggest PR problems of any entity oh, in this yeah. state. And it's going farther than anything to say RTD sucks. Why would I try? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what's the, what's his alternative what's the to incentive? get to the library, you know, with his, his kids? Go walk 20 minutes to the bus stop, like most Denverites live that, about that far from the closest bus stop. Wait for 30 minutes for the bus. If it comes, mm-hmm. sitting yeah. outside for no 40 thanks. minutes. That's just not a fun Sometimes date. Sometimes an hour. Sometimes longer. Yeah. Just like it's crap. It's just, I mean, I don't, I Sometimes don't. the bus drives right past you, which is very <laughs> But it's, I think, I think this listener has like an amazing point where we put all of our biggest cultural attractions basically in the same spot mm. and uh, there's not enough parking. Hmm. Um, and so, and I think what sucks too, is that if you live in that area, a lot of that burden falls on you, right? There goes your street parking. Oh, you're talking about Capitol Hill? Yeah. Parking in Capitol Hill? Yeah. I mean, that, that your, your street parking basically gets eaten up by the visitors to the museum, to the library, because well, where else could they go? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, none of this is a problem for With me personally. I, um, <laughs> I, I used to live in Cab Hill, and uh, my parking skills were forged in the fires of those streets. <laughs> that I, is how I, I learned a how to. God, now I learned yeah. how to parallel park from living in Cab Hill. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. that's. I a think real I taught my partner skill. how to parallel I, park. I was in taught Cap by Hill. a boyfriend in Cab Hill. Exactly. So there's, yeah. there's some silver lining there. But I mean, I think uh, Anne Marie, you have the best point. Incentive. We need incentive to take other modes. E-bikes are, are great. Yeah. Maybe a better transit system would be awesome. Or like if the city subsidized your admission to any of these places if you didn't drive. Yeah. If the city well, was like half idea. off your ticket if you took you the bus, your bus here. pass or yeah. whatever. I like that idea. There's just there's, there's creative ways to handle this. It's not all down to like uh, we just have to add more parking necessarily, right. but it's yeah, it's, it's so many things like intersect with the parking issue. Um and I think it's probably going to get blamed on a bunch of things that don't have anything to do with it. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, I want to end this segment with one one last piece. Uh, there was one other thing Eric S. wanted to ask, and I did get an answer for him. Eric S. asked, also, just how long is this construction project at the library going to last? Okay. <laughs> it's been going for at least two years, right? Yeah. Um, so I checked in with Rachel Fuel, the oh, administrator of the Central Library. Our who, librarian Brie, yeah, friend. You ta- you've talked to about the new uh, children's library Hi, last Rachel. year. Um, and she, she wrote back to me yesterday. She said, we expect Central will remain open in a limited capacity through 2023 as construction continues. Mm, so nebulous, no specific dates, but it's going to be beautiful when it reopens. Yeah, it's such a great library she already. She told me some good things and yeah, love the that building. Western History Stunner. Collection is still closed, right? I think what Fourth they're doing floor. now is you can go in and talk to them on the main floor and they'll go they'll up and go get, get your it. stuff. Oh. And you can, so they're still there. They're still working. You can still get access to all that good stuff. I just miss sitting in that room. It was so it's pretty. Such oh a my cool God. room. One of yeah. the best places in the city for sure. Yeah. Love it. Love it unequivocally. Yeah, I said I said okay for a second because I also I feel like construction goes on for a million years in this city and I don't understand why. <laughs> it's a season. That's the joke. It's the right? season. Yeah, there's winter and there's construction season. All right. Well, um, we got one more thing for you, and we'll be back with that after a quick break. 
All right. It's the end of the Friday show. You know what that means. It's time for the official CityCast Denver maybe for your weekend, as in maybe you'll see us there. Because as usual, there are so many cool things happening in Denver this weekend, and we have opinions. Peyton Garcia rounds up her best bets in our newsletter, Hey Denver, every week, and she's going to give us her top picks. Peyton, welcome. Hey, guys. So, as usual, I have four events for you guys to consider. Heck yeah. Bring it on. All right. First one. So some of our listeners might have already heard about this one. Bree and I talked about it on the podcast earlier this week. Um, But I am so excited about it. I couldn't not include it in today's discussion as well. All right. All right. It is the Westwood Festival del Tamale Atole. Oh, yeah. In our backyard. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So that is happening tonight and tomorrow from 4 to 9 p.m. It's put on by Echo and Westwood. It's going to be on the Rise Westwood campus. Um, Bree, do you want to talk a little bit about this? Because I know that you know all about it. They just do such a great job of bringing all these different chefs together and they focus on um, different things throughout the year. And, you know, it's the season for tamales. So... There's tamales, there's atole, which is like a warm, uh, sweet corn drink. And you can, uh, it's it's a food festival. Mm-hmm. So it's like a lot of tastings, but then you can also pre-order tamales um, to pick up next week, I think, if you want to take some home too. Ooh, I didn't know about that part. Yeah. Okay. This yeah. sounds, this you sounds might fantastic, <laughs> delicious. Sounds oh, so amazing wonderful. to me. And tickets are, so you can buy tickets now. So $25 gets you 15 sample tickets. That means 15 samples of something. Um, $100 gets you 75 samples, <laughs> which feels crazy, but maybe yeah, you're going lot. with a large that's group a of people. Um, but when you get there, you can also buy sample tickets at the event for $2 per ticket. Yeah, it sounds incredible. I don't think we can recommend that this week. I think our listeners, if they have taken our recommendations over the last two months, they have been to Westwood several times. It definitely sounds. They do cool events. It sounds great. It definitely sounds like I am paid by Westwood to (laughs) do this in the pocket of Westwood. But I can't help it. Their their stuff is so. Good. And I, I did think about that when I picked this uh, to, to recommend today. And I was like, okay, then I, I have to take a break from recommending Westwood stuff. But I just try to be honest with you guys. And this sounds dope. It does. They're so mm-hmm. creative with their events. Too. They do they cool just, stuff. They do really cool stuff that's not happening anywhere crazy. else in the city. Yeah, that's a good point. You won't experience it anywhere else. All right. Who's next? Give us okay. something else. Next. Okay. Tomorrow morning. Uh, at Park Meadows Mall, there's going to be an ugly sweater contest it's put on by Cozy 101, <gasps> mine and Bree's favorite holiday hey. radio station. Um, so I'm sure there's going to be great music. But if you show up in your best ugly sweater from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m., you could win a $100 gift card to spend at Park Meadows Mall. Oh, yeah. And there's a it's bunch like, of different. Be a lot of fun. Yeah, there's a bunch of different categories. There's, I think, a men's category, a women's category, a pet category, and a DIY category. Um, <laughs> so you've got lots of opportunities I, to win. Oh, I have the best. I have a sweater that's just hideous uh, sequins, and I call it my icicle sweater. Just. <laughs> I have nowhere yeah. to wear it. Maybe that's where I'll wear it. I was going to say, the ugly the ugly Christmas sweater people are like a passionate group of yeah, people. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's going to be a, a thing. competitive yeah. contest. Yeah. Also, great excuse. Hang out at the mall. Christmas exactly. time. That's do fun. Some, great place do some to be. Christmas no shopping. There. Um, there's going to be, you know, other giveaways and stuff going on. So 
Okay. Swing by the mall if you're trying to get some Christmas shopping done. Okay. Okay. Hit us with the next one, Peggy. All right. Next up, tomorrow night, 4.30 p.m. at Grounds for Dismissal Coffee. Have you guys heard of this coffee shop? No. Never. It's no. it's in the Hampton neighborhood, like right on the edge of Aurora. Okay. Um, I had huh. never heard of it either, but they're doing a movie night, a Christmas movie night, and it's free to go, and they're playing on three different projectors in different areas of the coffee shop. They're playing mm. three different movies. One is Elf, yes. one is Grinch, and one is the original Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer Ooh. when he's all like fuzzy claymation. Which, yeah. which Grinch? Carrie? Um, what's that? Jim, Jim Carrey? Yes. Or the yes. animation? Yeah, yes. No, that is an important question. It's the Jim Carrey Grinch. Okay. Um, okay with Carrie okay. Grinch. But what yeah. I love is it is free for the whole family to go, and you can bring blankets and snacks and whatever you want. But they're selling... Um, $30 tickets, which gets you a DIY s'mores board. And that hmm. board makes 10 s'mores. Oh, fun. And gets you two bottomless hot cocos. That's a good deal. Yeah. yeah. And s'mores they, I looked board. up their... Uh, s'mores board. A, a s'mores board. <laughs> s'mores board. Yeah. <laughs> That's fun. That's I cool. looked up the photos on their Facebook and these boards look dynamite. Ooh. That's a great idea. I think that's a good call. Okay. So you, you might really find me get in the cozy. elf room. That's <laughs> yeah, that's right. really the that's one where, I want to see that's too. That's where I would go to is, mm-hmm. is elf. But um, yeah, that one sounds really fun. So if you want to drive out to Aurora, get all cozy with a Christmas movie. Love it. Okay. All right. And last our one? last one is going to take place on Sunday um, at the Aurora Sports Park. It is the 37th annual Children's Hospital Toy Drive. Hmm. Do you guys know much about this? No, never heard of it. I hadn't either, but it's put on by Mile High Harley Davidson. And you start out um, at the Aurora Sports Park, but I guess all of these motorcyclists, and now, I mean, it started out with people on motorcycles, but now they do cars and trucks and whatever kind of vehicle you want. But you like, I looked up photos and they like deck out their their vehicles and and their harleys in christmas stuff and i think santa like people dress up as like santa and anyways it's a big um like motor vehicle parade from the aurora sports park to children's hospital and then i think a couple other hospitals too it's free to participate cool all you need to do is bring a toy to donate a new unopened unwrapped toy what a neat thing that happened yeah 37 years 37 years they've been doing i didn't know about this either what I a didn't great know about idea. This. And it looks like in past years, you would you could go into the hospital and like see the kids with their toys and stuff. Unfortunately, with COVID, COVID. and flu, and you can't do that anymore. It's more of a drop off right. situation, but still really fun. Um, a way to give back, a fun thing to do. The you meet at eight a.m. to get like lined up and staged. Mm-hmm. They leave Aurora Sports Park at ten a.m. and then from noon to four at Mile High Harley Davidson, there's an after party. Oh, terrific awesome. terrific this is a tough one this is a tough pick we got festival de tamale y atole at westwood which we can't pick <laughs> ugly sweater contest at park meadows mall i don't know i'm sorry i'm sorry um xmas movie night at grounds for dismissal coffee 37th annual children's hospital harley davidson procession I'm feeling the the grounds for dismissal coffee. Yeah, if we're not or, allowed, or the mall, first maybe. Is in my head yeah, now. if we're yeah. not allowed to pick Westwood, which is probably where I'll be. Um, <laughs> the s'mores board sounds totally sounds. I agree. Equally good. All right, there you have it. The official city cast, maybe for your weekend, <laughs> the s'mores board, the elf room specifically. Yeah, I am. I'm an elf person. 
But there's way more where that came from. Peyton's got plenty more recommendations in our newsletter, Hey Denver, which you can subscribe to right now by texting Denver to 66866. Peyton, Anne-Marie, Bree, thanks so much for joining me today. This was fun. Thanks for having me. Thanks. Thanks. And that's all for the week here on CityCast Denver. Our producers this week were me, Paul Caroli, and Aaron O'Toole. Peyton Garcia writes our morning newsletter, Hey Denver. Bree Davies is our host. Our music is by Los Mochachetes, with additional mixing by Tyler Lindgren. If you haven't already, subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, at CityCast Denver. And tell Brittany Griner about us the next time you see her. You can sign up for our daily newsletter, Hey Denver, by texting Denver to 66866 and learn more about us at denver.citycast.fm. See you next week. I have squirrels like scatter trash in my backyard all the time too. I don't know what could be done about that in our neighborhood, though, because it's West like... West Side Squirrels are just... West Side Squirrels... <laughs> insane. West Side Squirrels were there before any of us uh-huh. were there, and will be there after all of us are gone. <laughs>